Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawalah amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah, fantastic. So today inshallah ta'ala we are continuing with hadith number 28. Hadith number 28 by Al-Irbad ibn Sariyah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. He mentions, صَلَّ بِنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ ذَاتَ يَوْمٍ ثُمَّ أَقْبَلَ عَلَيْنَا فَوَعَظَنَا مَوْعِظَةً بَلِيغَةً ذَرَفَتْ مِنْهَا الْعُيُونَ وَوَجِلَتْ مِنْهَا الْقُلُوبِ فَقَالَ قَائِلٌ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ كَأَنَّ هَذِهِ مَوْعِظَةُ مُوَدِّعٍ فَمَاذَا تَعْهَدُ إِلَيْنَا قَالَ أُوصِيكُمْ بِتَقْوَى اللَّهِ وَالسَّمْعِ وَالطَّاعَةِ وَإِنْ تَأَمَّرَ عَلَيْكُمْ عَبْدٌ فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ يَعِشْ مِنْكُمْ بَعْدِ فَسَيَرَى اخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِينَ عَضُّوا عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِذِ وَإِيَّاكُمْ مُحْدَثَاتِ مُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ So, the Prophet ﷺ mentions one, well, excuse me, that uh, the Sahabi, Al-Irbad uh, ibn Sariyah, he mentions, one day, the Messenger of Allah led us in prayer, then faced us and gave us a lengthy admonition, at which the eyes were shedding tears and the hearts were shaken. A man said, O Messenger of Allah, it seems as if it were a farewell admonition. So what injunctions do you give us? Then he said, I advise you to fear Allah, to hear and to obey, even if, it, uh, even if a slave becomes your emir. Because indeed, those of you who live after me will see great disagreement. So you must keep to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided caliphs who guide to the right way. Cling to it stubbornly, literally bite down on it with your molar teeth. And beware of newly invented matters in this religion, because indeed every bid'ah, every perversion of the faith is a misguidance. So. Let's break this hadith down one by one. It's a lengthy hadith, but inshallah ta'ala, hopefully we will get through it piece by piece. The first statement is what? That the Prophet was praying with us one day. This teaches us, number one, the importance that the Sahabi was there to listen to this. Teaches us the importance of praying in congregation, alhamdulillah, which we just did, and the benefit of lecturing after the prayer when the hearts are soft and the minds are focused. You know, after you pray your salah, you say your salams, alhamdulillah, your heart and your mind are in a really good state to pay attention, which is alhamdulillah why we generally organize our halaqat with our salawat. Next, ثُمَّ أَقْبَلَ عَلَيْنَا فَوَعَظَنَا مَوْعِظَةً بَلِيغَةً ذَرَفَتْ مِنْهَا الْعُيُونَ وَوَجِلَتْ مِنْهَا الْقُلُوبِ Then he faced us, so he turned around after salah and he gave a lengthy admonition, a powerful reminder, a mawizah. The word mawizah means an admonition, it means a reminder that describes the consequences of one's actions and it instills fear in a person. It really makes a person pay attention, it's very powerful and it talks to you about you know, consequences of what you're doing. So he gave us a powerful mawizah, baliga. Baliga means that it's reaching. And what does it mean that a speech is reaching? That means it reaches its target audience. That means you're not talking over their heads. You're using vocabulary they understand. The message should be clear. It shouldn't be boring. It should be precise and to the point. It should be relevant to the individuals listening. And you, it should apply to the speaker himself. Why should it apply to the speaker itself? Because what comes from the heart is conveyed to the heart. If the speaker himself does not care, then you won't find that it affects the person. But if the speaker himself is somebody who actually pays attention to what they're saying, then inshallah ta'ala, it will have that effect, which is exactly what the Prophet described, what the, the hadith describes that. Then the eyes started tearing. So it was such a powerful admonition that the people were crying and their hearts were shaken. 
And this subhanAllah is in uh, obedience to the command which Allah sends to his messenger. Allah commands his messenger in Surah An-Nisa, admonish them and speak to them in far-reaching words. In other words, you have to speak to them in a way that conveys the message properly. And furthermore, there's a beautiful narration from Ali ibn Talib. He says what? Speak to people according to their intellects. You don't want to speak over people's heads. Or you don't want to speak to people in too basic of a way. You want to speak to people based on their intellect. And like I said, what comes from the heart goes to the heart. In fact, there's a very funny story that, that has to do with this. Uh, I just came across that. I thought it was very interesting. That one time, Hassan al-Basri, he was passing that by a majlis, like a gathering where people were sitting. And one person, young person, was talking, giving a very power, powerful, amazing lecture. And he's listening to this powerful reminder. But it didn't affect him at all. He didn't feel any effect by it. So after the speech, he goes up to the young man and says, فَقَالَ لِلشَّابِ He goes up to the young man and says, يَا هَذَا Oh, so-and-so, whatever his name is. He calls him over and says, Young man, إِنَّ فِي قَلْبِكَ شَيْئًا أَوْ إِنَّ فِي قَلْبِي شَيْئًا He says, look, he says, young man, indeed, there's either something like a disease, there's something wrong with my heart, there's a disease in my heart, or there's a disease in your heart. Something's wrong with one of, one of us. So what is he saying? He's saying, I didn't feel the admonition. It didn't affect me. So what does that mean? Well, it's one of two things. Either I have a disease in my heart, and so I'm not affected, or the other thing is that it's not sincerely coming from you. It's just you're putting on a show. And now the problem is that this is Hassan al-Basri. So chances are you cancel out the him and then the, something wrong with the kid. Wallahu ta'ala alam. We don't know who this is. So I'm not you know, speaking bad about him. I'm just saying it's a, it's a funny story. But I just felt bad for the kid because he was like, oh man, Hassan al-Basri <laughs> told me that if it's not him, it's me. That means it's me. So subhanAllah. Um, Yes, and obviously like it said that it wajilat qulubuhum, this is from the ayah, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَجِلَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ That the believers are those who, when Allah is mentioned, that their hearts become fearful. And when the verses are recited to them, it increases them in faith. This is the sign of the believer, that you can sit and listen to ayat of Qur'an and ahadith and reminders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it should have an effect on you. Whether it be that you feel it in your heart, it's visibly seen in your eyes, there should be some sort of effect. Otherwise, there is a problem, and you might want to take a look and ask yourself, why is it that I don't get affected by the halaqat or by the khutbah or whatever the case may be? Then the hadith goes on. فَقَالَ قَائِلٌ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أنك, uh, uh, مودعن, مودعن. تعهد, uh, تعهد, uh, a man said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, it seems as if this was a farewell admonition. Like it, it seems as if you're, like this is your, your final address. So what do you advise us? Now, there's a few points to be taken here. Why would a Sahabi say this feels like the farewell address? Well, think about it. When you're going to say your last words, think about how complete you're going to want to speak. Think about how you're going to want to cover every important topic. And so really, he's indirectly praising the method of speech of the Prophet ﷺ. Because he would speak in such a way where it felt like he covered everything. Everything was covered. And so the Sahabi is saying, you spoke so completely and perfectly, it feels like it's the last address. It feels like you're saying you're covering every important topic because it's like, I'm never going to see you again. That's how good the Prophet ﷺ spoke. And so he said, it feels like it's the last time you're going to talk. So please give us advice. And the fact that he's asking for advice and the Prophet ﷺ responded and said, okay, I'll give you advice, shows that the Prophet didn't run out of good information to share. This is you know, a sign of being a messenger, that it's not like you can be like, oh, well, I kind of ran out. You know, I don't have anything else to say. And furthermore, we should remember that it is a sunnah to respond to the request. When somebody requests you for something, you want to respond and give them what they're asking for, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. So then he finally, he, said, he does give the advice and says, قَالَ 
I advise you to fear Allah. I advise you to hear and to obey. Now, if you think about it, these are the do's and don'ts, or I should say don'ts and do's. Taqwa is what you abstain from. Fear of Allah, staying away from haram and staying away from evil, right? So taqwa is to say what? These are the don'ts. Have taqwa of Allah, fear of Allah, and try to abstain from every evil. Sama ta'a is what? Hear and obey, which implies what? That you hear what is good and you apply it in your life. So think about the do's and the don'ts and make sure you apply them. And this is a really important. This concept of taqwa is so powerful because the Quran begins with what? Allah says that taqwa is going to unlock the Quran for you. And so this is a really important point why, why, why we begin with taqwa. Because basically this ayah that says hudan lil muttaqin, the Quran is only a guidance for what? For who? For those who have taqwa, for those who can abstain. The equation that we're learning from this ayah is what? The more you abstain from temptation, the more Allah Ta'ala will open up the doors of knowledge for the Quran. Some people will go through books of the Quran and they'll read page after page and feel like nothing's hitting me. Nothing is striking me. Nothing is interesting. Nothing is grabbing my attention. I don't know what's wrong with me. Go look at your lifestyle, see how many times you're tempted to do something and you give in and you give in and you give in. But if you do the opposite, if you say, oh, I'm tempted to do this, I'm going to say no to that one. I'm tempted to do this, I'm going to say no to that one. You're going to find ta'ala that because you're applying taqwa in your life, then when you open up even one page, one ayah of the Quran, it's going to hit you more. You go into just a little bit of tafsir, it's going to hit you more. You come to the halaqa, it's going to hit you more. Why? Because hudan lil muttaqin, that this is huda only for those who apply taqwa, subhanAllah. Now it says, now we know that the, as the hadith goes on, it's clear that he's talking about asama' wa ta'a, hearing and obeying to who? The rulers, the leaders. And this is why, this is based on the ayah in which Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, ati'u Allah wa ati'u rasul wa ulul amri minkum. Allah says, O oh, you who have believed, obey Allah, obey the messenger and those in authority amongst you. And when you look at the tafsir of this ayah, you notice that there isn't a third obey. It says, obey Allah, as in, absolutely. Obey the messenger, absolutely. And then it, said, it doesn't say, and obey, it doesn't repeat the verb a third time. It doesn't say, and obey those who are in, uh, uh, in authority. It just says, and those in authority. Now, why does it say it that way? Because the third command is dependent upon the first two. In other words, obey them when they are within the bounds of the sharia. When they are the, in the, within the bounds of the Quran and Sunnah, then you obey your rulers. The moment they go outside of that and they command you to that which is haram, you say, no thank you, I don't obey the creation over the creator. So that's why it's very specifically worded, أَطِيعُ اللَّهِ وَأَطِيعُ الرَّسُولِ وَأُولُوا الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ So, uh, and furthermore, the Prophet says what? مَنْ رَأَى مِنْ أَمِيرِهِ شَيْئًا يَكْرَهُهُ فَلْيَصْبِرْ فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ فَارَقَ الْجَمَاعَةَ شِبْرًا فَمَاتَ uh, one who found in his Amir, anybody who finds within his leadership and his Amir something he dislikes should be patient. It's a very important hadith. You should be patient. This doesn't, should you revolt? Should you overthrow? Should you attack? No, it says you should be patient. Because whoever separates from the jama'ah, from the, from the body of Muslims, to even the extent of a hand span, then he and then he dies after that, he would have died a death of jahiliyyah. So this is a very important point that we learn uh, about our aqidah. And in fact, anybody who wants to study aqidah, usually one of the most basic books is what? Al-Aqidah al-Tahawiyyah. It's a very standard text for those who want to study the aqidah uh, uh, of Islam. And what is it? one statement in it is, وَلَا نَرَى الْخُرُوجِ عَلَىٰ أَئِمَّتِنَا وَوُولَاتِ أُمُورِنَا وَإِنْ جَارُوا وَلَا نَدُعُ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا نَنْزَعُ يَدًا مِنْ طَاعَتِهِمْ وَنَرَى طَاعَتَهُمْ مِنْ طَاعَةِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ فَرِيضَةً مَا لَمْ يَأْمُرُ بِمَعْصِيَةٍ وَنَدْعُ لَهُمْ 
that we do not, this is part of our aqidah, that we do not believe in revolt against our leaders and rulers, even if they commit injustice, nor do we supplicate against them or defy their orders. On the contrary, we believe that obedience to them is a duty and a part of our obligatory obedience to Allah so long as they don't order anything that is sinful and we pray for the rectification and their safety. So it's very important to recognize that Islam is not a religion of chaos that Islam is not calling for constant revolution. Uh, without obedience to authorities, then the world would be in anarchy. If every time you saw something that uh, a ruler fell short, did something wrong, they're human beings at the end of the day, they're gonna do things that are wrong. If every time you had a revolution, subhanAllah, it would be nothing but chaos. And so and Islamic history is full of revolutions against the leader, and then those rebels who took charge, you find that they end up being worse than the person that they overthrew. This happens. Look at Islamic history, it's full and full and full of unfortunate situations like this. So, what, how, if let's say for example you see that rulers are wicked, how do you, if, how do you have make a change? Well, the Prophet, well, Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَكَذَلِكَ نُوَلِّي بَعْضَ الظَّالِمِينَ بَعْضًا بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْسِبُونَ And thus we will make some of the wrongdoers allies, or this can also be translated as rulers. We will put them in charge of others for what they used to earn. In other words, Allah is saying, sometimes I put bad rulers on top of you people. Why? Because you yourselves are corrupt. And this is something that is so common sense and logical when you think about it. When people of a certain country say, SubhanAllah, our leadership is so, so bad. At the end of the day, where did that leadership come from? Did they come from Pluto, from Mars, from Jupiter? Where did they come from? They came from that country, right? They're not alien invaders, right? They came from the people themselves. So if you want to have good leadership, what do you need to do? Call the people, influence the people, change the people, and inshallah, what's gonna come from those good people? A good ruler. This is the, this is the general idea. The general concept is what? That when you improve the state of people, inshallah ta'ala, that which comes from them in terms of rulership, uh, leadership is what? Good people, inshallah. That generally is the case. And furthermore, the Prophet was once asked, Ayyul jihad afdal? What is the best jihad? And keep in mind, the word jihad often refers to what? Like warfare, right? Fighting. So you're expecting some type of a fight. I mean, that's what you might expect, right? And then what? Qal, kalimatu haqqin inda sultanin ja'irin. That the Prophet responds and says what? The best jihad is a true, a true word spoken to an unjust ruler. So if every time a, a ruler was unjust, your objective is to fight him, then why would you be speaking to him? Don't speak to him, attack him. But the Prophet is not just saying a, a, a valid jihad or a good jihad, he's saying the best of jihad is when you not attack, but when you speak to a ruler and speak the truth to him. So you're trying to have a good effect on him. You're trying to change this individual. Also because it's very scary if a ruler you know, is in charge and you say something that they, dis they dislike, all they have to do is, and then that's it, right? <laughs> Off with his head. So it's a, it's a very scary thing to do that. But this is the way you make change. And at the end of the day, ultimately, we know that rulers, what they want is to stay in charge. Most of the time, you find that they want to maintain their leadership. And so one of the best ways for them to do so is to make sure that their populace is happy with them. This is the concern of everybody that you know, wants votes, let's say in this country or whatever the case is, right? You always wanna make sure that the people are happy with you so they won't get rid of you. And so if the people become more righteous, then you're gonna to wanna to become more righteous or at least appear to be more righteous to the best of your ability. And so inshallah ta'ala, uh, this is one way to have an effect. And Allah knows best. Ibn Uthaymeen, he says, uh, if a ruler orders a people to do what is forbidden, they should openly disobey him and not be concerned with the matter. If, if your ruler tells you to do something haram, no thank you, we're not gonna do it. However, but this does not mean that he is not to be obeyed in other orders that he has commanded. So even if you see something corrupt, even if you see something ugly within your leadership, 
And even if they command you to do something haram, you say, I'm not going to do the haram part, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should revolt. Rather, you should try to obey in that which is good. And again, for those that are more revolutionary minded, look into history to see how many times people said, we don't like this guy, we're going to revolt. They revolted, they kicked the guy out, and then they became in charge, and then the situation was 10 times worse. It happens over and over and over again. May Allah protect us. What you want to do is work on the people themselves. That is the best method. Then the hadith continues. Even if a slave becomes your leader. Now, this technically a slave can't really be a ruler because if a slave is a ruler, then technically the master of that slave is the ruler, right? Obviously, just logically speaking. So it seems that this hadith could be referring to someone who was a slave and then was freed. And then the hadith, the advice is basically saying, ignore their lineage. Don't worry about their class. Don't worry about these things. Why? Because if you're Amir, whether you think he's from this you know, race or that race, I like, the, I like this group or that group, or from this background or that background, none of that matters. What matters is that you guys stick together as a group. Don't have these biases and these prejudices. That's one way of understanding it. Another, another way of understanding this hadith is, uh, it could be stating an impossible hypothetical. Just for emphasis, you know? Even if a slave is your ruler, a slave can't be a ruler, but still, it's just saying it for emphasis. To say, even in such an unbelievable is, uh, equation. And this is not foreign to hadith. There is actually a hadith that says something similar. مَنْ بَنَا مَسْجِدًا لِلَّهِ كَمَفْحَسِ قَطَاتٍ أَوْ أَصْغَرْ بَنَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بَيْتًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ That the Prophet said, whoever builds a masjid for the sake of Allah, like the size of a... A, a, a sparrow's nest, or even smaller, Allah will build for him a house in paradise. Now, can you build a masjid that is the size of a sparrow's nest? Obviously, this is a, a, a hypothetical that is impossible. It's an impossible hypothetical. It's just for emphasis. So the hadith can be understood in a similar way. I hope everybody understands. The hadith continues. For those of you who will live, will see big and very great disagreements, lots of disagreements. This statement could be understood in two ways. Number one, those of you today who live until the time of Uthman ibn Affan anhu will see the first time Muslims will fight Muslims. Prior to this, the Prophet during his time, the Muslims weren't fighting each other. Alhamdulillah, there was unity. They would fight disbelievers, but not the believers within each other. During the time of Abu Bakr, they fought the anhu, they fought the Murtaddin, they fought the apostates. During the time of Umar, they fought the Persians and the Romans. But during the time of Uthman, yes, of course, they, ex they continued the expansion of the Khilafah, but that was the first time that the Muslims attacked Uthman, and he himself said, I will not be the first one to unsheathe the, sh the sword against the Muslims, because once that happens, it'll never stop. So he said, I don't order anybody to defend me. They came to his house and they killed him. He had the biggest empire at, that the planet was aware of, the biggest. And he was like, nobody come defend me. And they came and killed him. And he said, that's, that's fine. I can die, but I'm not going to have Muslims kill each other. SubhanAllah, this is the level of sincerity. May Allah have mercy on him. Uh, Another interpretation of this hadith is what? Uh, from Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he says that anybody who lives a long life will inevitably witness turmoil and fitna because that's human nature. So in other words, whoever lives, yeah, whoever lives a long life amongst you, you're going to see ikhtilaf and kathira. You're going to see lots of disagreement. There's going to be lots of political issues up and down. doesn't matter when you live. That's just, that's just human nature. That if you live a long life, you're going to see some sort of fitna here and there. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's inevitably, inevitably going to happen. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam bisawab. So what is the advice? فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِالسُنَّةِ وَالسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّشِيدِينَ الْمَهْدِيينَ So you must stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided caliphs. Those who were guiding to the right way. What's interesting about these two words, Rashid and Mahdi, they both mean to be guided on the right path, but there is a difference, a slight technical difference. And it's so beautiful. 
Rashid is to know the truth and to follow it. Mahdi means to be well guided. The opposite of Rashid is one who knows the truth but goes in the wrong direction anyway. And in the Quran, those people are described as maghdubi alayhim. Mahdi means one who is well guided. The opposite of that is what? Dalin, the one who is lost. So it's so beautiful that the Prophet is describing them as Ar-Rashidin al-Mahdiyin. And this is exactly like Allah has accepted their dua to not be maghdubi alayhim wal dalin Allahu Akbar. So it's just beautiful the way that they know the truth and apply it and they're not lost. SubhanAllah. Now, who are the rightly guided caliphs? So it seems that the strongest opinion is obviously Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, and some even include Hassan, uh, Al-Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Why is this the consensus? Well, subhanAllah, this is uh, of the miracles of the Prophet The Prophet specifically clearly said in an authentic hadith, خِلَافَةُ النُّبُوَّةِ ثَلَاثُونَ سَنَةً ثُمَّ يُؤْتِ اللَّهُ الْمُلْكَ مَنْ يَشَاءُ That the prophetic caliphate will last 30 years. Then Allah will give the kingdom to whom He wishes. So the Prophet during his lifetime said, Khilafa upon the prophetic style, the prophetic khilafa will last 30 years. Let's take a calculation here. Abu Bakr, he reigned for two years and three months. Umar reigned for 10 years and six months. Uthman reigned for 12 years. Ali reigned for four years and nine months. And Al-Hasan reigned for six months. Add all that together, you get exactly what? 30 years. Maybe it was a coincidence, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I doubt it. It seems subhanAllah. And by the way, he said after that, Allah will give kingdom, al-mulk, kingdom to whoever he wishes. And we know right after those 30 years, Muawiyah was the first one to instill what? The uh, Umayyad dynasty. Why did it switch from a khilafah to a dynasty? Because it then stayed within the family to Yazid and so on and so forth. It stayed within Bani Umayyah. It stayed within that family. And that's the difference between a khilafah and a kingdom or a, uh, this dynasty style. It's that it stays within the family. So subhanAllah, to the dot, 30 years, exactly as the Prophet said. Prophet said. So the statement of these uh, khulafah, so when the Prophet says that stick to their sunnah, my sunnah and the sunnah of these khulafah al-Rashidin, what does this mean? This, this means that their words are considered authoritative as evidence. But it's very important to remember that not everything which is authoritative in Islamic law is therefore the same status and the same strength. So it could be the case, therefore, that it could conflict with something that the Prophet said, and therefore, obviously, the Prophet's word is above. So it's saying that, look, their words are considered evidence, but it doesn't mean it's the strongest of evidence. It's just considered, it's part of legal, it's part of the legal considerations when you're doing ijtihad, right? And so, uh, and the proof of this is that even the Sahaba wouldn't necessarily take the ijtihad of the Khulafa as absolute and 100%. Sometimes they would say, listen, I've arrived at a different conclusion, this is my opinion, and they'd go back and forth, and that's okay. So obviously they have authority, and their authority should be considered very highly, but still there is higher than that, and Allah knows best. The main, the primary idea here is what? That if certain things are done, during their khilafah that was never done during the time of the Prophet therefore now you have guidance in that matter and Allah knows best yes uh, uh, yeah I'll just move on and then the Prophet says what cling to it stubbornly and literally it means means to bite down bite down with your nawadij means your molars so this is an expression which means what 
Hold tight to my sunnah. Hold tight to the sunnah of those rightly guided leaders. Don't try to break away from the jama'ah. Try to stick, try to make sure that unity is maintained amongst the Muslims. And just the, the visual of biting down with your molars, it gives you, that it's very, it gives you the impression that it's very close and very personal, something that you take very dear to you, right? Because I mean, so close that it's literally in your mouth. So it's very close, very personal to you. So it's a very powerful expression and it, and it, and it provides a very strong uh, visual. The hadith goes on and says, وَإِيَّاكُمْ مُحْتَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ uh, and beware of newly invented, invented matters, specifically in the religion, because indeed every bid'ah, which is like a perversion of the deen, is, is a misguidance. Now, does this refer to technological innovations? The answer is absolutely not. Right? We have laptops and phones and whatever we have, and there's nothing wrong with that in Islam. Why? Because, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, there's nothing wrong with continuing when it comes to technology and medicine and so on and so forth, and, you know, better ways to transportation and communication, all that stuff is fine. Bid'ah is specifically a reference to what? Alterations or, uh, uh, you could say, uh, deletions or additions to the deen itself, to the way that you worship Allah and to the way that you understand your deen. And why is this the case? Very straightforward. Allah Ta'ala tells us what? That this day I have perfected for you your religion and completed my favor upon you and I have approved for you Islam as a religion. In other words, Allah has said, listen, today this deen is complete. And so if something is perfect and completed from Allah Ta'ala, then the idea of adding, subtracting, or altering implies what? Some sort of imperfection. It implies that you are improving this deen. But you can't improve upon something that is already perfect. It is only going to make it worse. And therefore, I hope everybody understands the, uh, the, the, the problem, just psychologically speaking, just like from a, from a theoretical perspective, what is wrong with the concept of bid'ah and adding to this deen. And more specifically, the Prophet says what? مَا تَرَكْتُ شَيْئًا مِمَّا أَمَرَكُمُ اللَّهُ بِهِ إِلَّا قَدْ أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ وَمَا تَرَكْتُ شَيْئًا مِمَّا نَهَكُمْ عَنْهُ I haven't left anything that Allah has ordered for you except that I have ordered you to do it. And I have not left anything uh, which Allah has prohibited for you except that I have prohibited it for you. In other words, everything that Allah told me to command, I told you. Everything that Allah told me to forbid, I forbade to you. And this is exactly what Allah says when He says, That the Prophet ﷺ, He is not a withholder of the knowledge of the unseen. He doesn't withhold any information that he is receiving. He, his job is, is, a, is a rasul, he's a messenger. He has to deliver the message, that's his job. And of course, there's a, uh, just finally, there's a hadith which says what? And there's some, dis there's some discussion as to the strength of this hadith, but it seems that Al-Albani considered it sahih. It's in Tabarani. So, Wallahu ta'ala alam, it seems to be authentic. The Prophet says what? Inna Allah hajabat tawbata an kulli sahibi bid'atin. That Allah has barred the repentance of every innovator. Anybody who makes an innovation and distorts the deen, then subhanAllah, this person, their tawbah is barred from them. And subhanAllah, one of the commentaries on this uh, 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 hadith, it's very interesting. It says, why, is, why can't they make tawbah? Well, basically because the sinner feels remorse for the, the time they do evil, right? Like if, you, if, if a believer is a believer and he does something haram, he feels bad about it because he knows it's haram. But the mubtadi', the one who is doing 